Yeah, when we get to that, I'll be asking people questions and stuff just because I think it helps us think when you're put on the spot. So we'll kind of go from there. Okay. So we have to say this, I have no disclosures, whatever. Um, so here, here's the agenda. So taxes, because I feel like that was really good. Oh, this is perfect. I'm doing it right now. And then resources to have on hand. So these are, I carry these whenever I go moonlighting. It's, these are from Ingstrom. Um, this is like the event book. So if you ever have to run events, um, this book is like gold. Uh, definitely have that. This is, it's just like bullet points. It's kind of like an airplane model. So if you, it's a checklist. If like someone comes in and access, you pull it up and just like a walkthrough. So like, if you're really, yeah, if you're freaking out, like it's just good to have that on hand. Uh, fracture stuff. I felt like our education here isn't great on like acute fractures to what to do. So this is how to splint, like what the workup to do and stuff. Haney told me about that one. And then these are just, if you need to put a tube in somebody or a chest tube or do like an emergent thora or something like that. This is like all the induction meds and how they do it, like on little like cards. So this is 55 bucks, but it was like, well, well worth it. Um, and you can write it all off on your taxes. Nice. All right. Um, so these are verses I think of when I'm moonlighting and I'm getting tired, like local heart is good medicine. So going in there and trying to be the light of Christ to your patients, you know, um, and then praying that God, yeah, use your refuge and strength. And when I'm tired, I often, you know, I'm not calling him for help. He needs this help a lot. Yeah. Okay. So navigating taxes, why it matters, what's a 1099 mean, stuff like that. Because um, so if you try to supervise APRNs when you get out as an attending, um, that's 1099 work. If you're working in a lot of like PRs and stuff, that's 1099 work. So what's it mean and how do you navigate it? So, so first, I hate taxes. So Calvin Kohler said <laughs> collecting more taxes than is absolutely necessary is legalized robbery. Amen. Jesus said, pay your taxes. So obviously we do it, but um, we're Americans. Uh, so what is a 1099? It means we're independent contractors. So when you get your paycheck, they don't take anything out. So if you make $10,000, well, just, yeah, $10,000, you'll get 10,000 bucks in the, in the mail. Um, so if you just spend it or use it, it's really bad. Um, so what we, Maggie and I do is we pull out 20%, so 5% for state, 15% for the Fed, just immediately pull that out. Um, and then you go to these websites. So it's quarterly is what you do. So at the end of each quarter, you go to the IRS government payments, you go to the 1040 ES section, and you put in 20% of your income uh, through your moonlighting to their, to them. Um, and that covers you for that like four months. Um, and then- so That's only if you have to pay Taxes. It's only you have to be quarterly taxes, but it makes it easier at the end of the year. So, like, we don't have to do this. We can just hold it all back. But then it's just it's easier if you do it. Um, and then OK TAP, uh, which is how you do it in Oklahoma, it's quarterly as well. You just put it in. And like Joan said, you don't have to do this. Um, some folks have to, but it's just easier if you do. Because if not, you have like, yeah, this bank account piling up. Is, is it state? Is it government? And, you know, so. Uh, What's the situation where you have to do quarterly? I think it's just when you hit a certain threshold of the function. It's based on how much you make yeah. in 1099 income. If you make over a certain amount and you don't pay quarterly taxes, the IRS will say at the end of the year, you should have paid quarterly taxes, and then they'll give you a fine and may charge interest on the my, my friend, for instance, he moonlit throughout residency. He never took a day off from second year to third year, um, and he made $200,000. 
He used it a year. Yeah, he just like he made bank. But he got fined by the IRS like a ton. Um, he got he's paying him back still. He was in like forty thousand dollars. So, anyways, um, so it's just good to know. Like, so we do this just to like we don't need to do it yet, but just to get um, that's not all. So at the end of the year, there's an additional fifteen percent tax on top of everything else, and that's because um, you need to pay into Medicare and Social Security. So on top of everything else, you're putting in an extra. So when you work for somewhere like IHI or for me working for Ascension, like they pull it's 7.5% you put in at the end of the year. So they'll cover half of your Medicare and Social Security. Um, but when you're 1099, they don't. So you add it all up, you're paying what, 35% of your money on tax. It also depends on what marginal tax Right, yes. Um, this is like just general stuff that you need to keep in mind. That's a lot. But then there's ways to like write it off and stuff. Helps. So, so this is like you you tell the government like when I go to the tax person this year and say like here's my deductions they'll like I don't have to pay the taxes then pretty much. So uh, mileage so you get sixty five cents to the mile. So when I drive out to Shattuck which is where I work it's about four hours so it's about three hundred dollars a drive that I can tell the government I already paid this myself. And so part of that 15% I have to pay at the end of the year, like that money, like 200 bucks goes towards that. Uh, food, so it's a fixed rate. Yeah, go ahead. How do you track your miles? Do you track them in your- I keep a logbook and every job I drive to, I write down that I, what I drove and how many miles it was. And I write down the dates of every shift uh, because of this. So like every start day and end day, you get 50 bucks from the government um, for food. And then every full day, you get about 60 bucks. Uh, and it changes every year. But um, at first, I was keeping my receipts, but it's just not worthwhile. Like, the government pays you more. I eat cheap, though. So if you eat a lot, you get fancy and receipts. So that's saying it's like for seven on your start date, your first day, you get 50, then the rest of the day is 60, and then your last day, 50. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, if I were, so for instance, I worked like a 96 hour shift. So the first day and the last day, I got 40, 50 bucks. But then all the other days, I was getting like 60. And this is like I aired on the low side, so you, it's actually a little more than this. But it's not as it's not that you get the money; you're just able to write that all off. So right, that you just it just goes. It's more or less per diem, like if you ever work for a job where you did. Right. Like and it's like so if, if I owe them, let's say I owe ten thousand bucks to the government, yeah. and I work a bunch of shifts, it, this just they'll take this as payment. Okay. If I say I work these days and they deduct it from, so then you're paying <laughs> eight thousand instead of ten thousand. Okay. You don't see the money, but. Shelling out the money. <clears throat> um, and then educational supplies. So, books and stuff, I, that's all right off. So, I keep a log of all of that, all my receipts. And then scrubs. If you're wearing scrubs, you're working in an ER and you bought some, you can turn that into the government and that counts as a write off too. Issues. Yeah, anything. Oh, wow. Any part of your uniform. Like you want a new stethoscope, you want new like shears, you want all that stuff, you keep receipts, you write it all off. About laptop and uh, that's I'm not sure about that because if you use the ER, yeah, you can make the argument. So that's where this would come in. So you get a CPE to help you navigate it, but you can form a PLLC. So instead of an LLC, it's a professional limited liability company. Um, and then you can like it's more tax write offs through that, like a computer and like maybe like a work car and stuff like that. 
Um, and this is different from an LLC in that you still get sued through this. So it doesn't protect you from getting sued. It just protects you from taxes. Like an LLC, they can't come after your house if you're in an LLC, like if you are renting a building or something. But when you make a PLLC for your professional work as a physician, it's for taxes only. There's no like uh, legal safety net from getting sued. They can still come after you. Make sense? Can you sell phone? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Yeah. And then uh... up to date and all that, like all your subscriptions. All that, yeah. yeah. Which is really nice. Yeah. The idea being that you'd have to pay 10 grand to the government anyway. So you might as well pay some of that in a way that you get some things out of it. Yeah. yeah. So like I was like, well, I need some resources. So you'll go or like CME, like I want to go somewhere, like you the hotel and all that stuff, I the government pays for it. Like you do as a tax right too. If you do any of your work at home, you can designate a home office and then you can do that too. Reimbursed based on the how many square foot your home office is and what percentage of it is um, compared to your entire house. That's why so you need to get a CPA to get all that stuff done. It's really cool. So so definitely get a CPA. And then um, if you're doing it a lot, like that's when you want to form a PL. So <coughs> a lot of the docs I work with, they all have like this professional limited liability corporation for themselves. You just make it. So. I don't have one. Probably not going to make one. Cost money to make one, so costs like eight hundred dollars a year. Yeah, but they just I don't know the people. I don't. I make I moonlight a lot, but I don't put moonlight enough. I can talk to my CPA about it this tax round. Anyways, but does all that tax stuff make sense? It's kind of like a quick go through, but I feel like it's good to kind of have some kind of idea about it before you get out in the real world. There's a, there's a couple of good apps to keep. Like QuickBooks is one that you have to pay for, but you can literally, it'll take every expense if you link your cards in your bank accounts and you can just swipe whether it's a business expense or personal expense and then it'll create a spreadsheet for you at the end of the year that you just send to your CPA. Yeah. And that's, it can track your miles and everything too. Yeah, that's way better. I just keep a, a little book. I just hand it, but that'd be a lot easier. Okay. I'm just too cheap. So. Okay. And then this, I feel like is good, like, um, to think about because I know like moonlighting and residency is really tough. So Maggie loves a little <laughs> And she said, God so arranged the world that it's necessary, uh, that, that work is necessary. And he gives us the hands and strength to do it. The enjoyment of leisure would be nothing if we only had leisure. It's the joy of work well done that enables us to enjoy rest. Just as it is the experience of hunger and thirst that make food and drink such pleasures. So realizing like when I was a resident, it's like, man, I just want a weekend off, you know. Now that I'm out, um, I can fall into this like, oh. I have all these weekends off. I haven't had it for a while. I just want to keep enjoying it. Um, and I think like Sundays, like obviously it's the Sabbath, so you should like take that day. But if you're having like a four-day weekend, it's it's probably a good thing to get out there and work, push yourself and get better. And through like that hard work, it makes those days off a lot more enjoyable. Um, and have more money to do stuff with it too. Or to give missionaries and stuff like that. All right, so here's what I like. I always keep on hand. We already kind of went through it, uh, but I just wanted you to have it in the PowerPoint form. I also always carry all dog stuff like EKG and like inpatient stuff with me just because it's a good, really good reference. Um, ventilator book is really, really important. All the attendings here have it. I was asking some questions and they all put out the same book and I was like, I get it. You're always referencing the same book when I ask you questions. All right, so BiPAP settings. Um, Mike has it in his book, but what do you guys know about BiPAP? Like, what are like somebody comes in uh, and needs BiPAP? What settings are you going to do? 
Jones, what are you going to do? Uh, the expiratory and inspiratory pressure. And what, do you want, what do you want them to be? What's your numbers? Um, one is like 10 to 16 and one is like 6 to 8. Okay. Yeah, so this is what Ingstrom says to do. So I had a patient we're going to go over later, and I called Ingstrom. Here's what his guy did. So his initial settings, he does IPAP of 12. So that's your inspiratory pressure that's forcing it in, and your EPAP. So it's the pressure that's kind of like always there. To, so that's that's five. Uh, and your FiO2, you just always just set it straight to 100. So the the ventilator setting the same as uh, EPAP. And so when you're thinking of, hey, I might need to vent like this person, like even this person, just remember EPAP and PEEP is pretty much, it's not the same, but it's pretty much the same. Um, and so you'll probably put those settings on the same same spot. Um, and so if they're not saturating well, you know, always look for seal. What's your O2 settings? What's your EPAP? Uh, and then what's your eye time? And eye time is up there, it's just inspiration time. So the uh, first setting is going to be uh, one second. So each breath is going to be like for one second. Um, so if somebody's like breathing really fast and stuff like that, you're going to want to set it for a half a second just because then if not, you're going to have the IPAP while they're breathing out, they're still going to be getting the full inspiratory pressure. And so you want to make sure you only have the IPAP set for the actual inspiratory time for the first one. So like if they're breathing sick every 30 times a minute, um, times a minute and you get you need the IPAP left in a second. Um, so yeah, so your Tikipnik, consider your eye time. Um, we just kind of went over that. And then your volume overloaded, you just bump the EPAP up. So you want that because you're all the AVLI are gonna be closing on themselves. So when uh, yeah that force in <laughs> there's more pressure to, to open them back up than just to keep them open. Uh, you could also, if they're really volume overloaded, that's when you would bump the IPAP up to like 16 if you have pulmonary edema. But L-Dog kind of jumps straight to that. So for him, it, in his book, he has a whole algorithm that you do, uh, but pulmonary edema versus COPD. So you do IPAP of 16, EPAP of four. So his EPAP's a little lower for pulmonary or COPD. Um, for pulmonary edema, he would go to EPAP to eight. So Ingstrom's point was he doesn't go to 16 because you always get an air leak at 16. And so it's too much for the seal. And so his thought was if you have it at 12, you get a full seal and then you increase as needed. Where our dog says, you're probably not going to get a good seal no matter what, if it doesn't fit right. So just give them all that you got and just see how it goes. So I mean, it's really fine. And then regardless, um, in 60 minutes, you're going to recheck a UBG or UBG if you can't have it where you're at. Um, and then obviously better monitor and then discontinue when you can or adjust it. If they worsen, you're just going to need to tube them. Okay. Um, but if you need the tube, they're getting worse. You're going to have to do rapid sequence intubation. There's a million ways to do RSI. Um, I feel like most of us aren't going to do it. So I didn't go to a lot of detail. Here's just what I use. Um, so ketamine and sucks, I think, just works really well. So that's kind of what I do. The area of people love ketamine and sucks. So it's just, I kind of do what they like, the meds that they have limit you. So 
I was doing so many once and area back was there and like, hey, if you, you can give them, you know, accommodate, but we don't have that. And, you know, so anyways, they kind of like direct what they want to. Um, but this is like what I like to use. It's also what Wicom uses a lot. So, um, and so calculate the minute event if they're on BiPAP already, it's really good to calculate it because it's going to help your initial settings out. So, and the ventilation is going to be breath per minute times volume. And the BiPAP will usually calculate this for you. So, that's really helpful. Um, and then on the vent, it's just respiratory rate times minute ventilation. And so, it's kind of one to one. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I don't want to, yeah. So, anyways, it's pretty much one to one. You just kind of plug it down. And so, that just helps initial settings out. Um, and then always have a resource for person. And so where I work, it's kind of funny, like MSO would just come out if you're gonna tube somebody because there's no backup. Um, you're the only doctor there. The nurses will always call MSO out. So there's always a backup to intubate, which is just kind of nice. Um, or if airbags there, like they'll, they'll be there to help out. The ventilation book is huge. Um, when I tube somebody, I usually will like texting to and just say, hey, here's my plan. Like, what do you think? Um, or or I'll text with comb or something like that. So just have somebody in the back, your back pocket you can reach out to because usually you want somebody else to check your plan before you're going to tube somebody. Um, that stuff can't go south. So. Yeah, yeah, so I always have to bougie out. Um, I'm always thinking in my back of my head, like, if I have to do a crick, like, what I need. Uh, I hope I have to do that yet. I hope I never have to. But yeah, I always have the bougie ready just in case. And then different size tubes, obviously, and um, the glidoscope and all that stuff. that? A bougie? What do you call a long bougie? Yeah, so a bougie is like a really long plastic uh, rod, pretty much. It's like as flimsy, so you have like the stylet. Kind of. Sort of. It's not a stylet, it's a lot longer. It's a lot longer, and you can actually bend it and make it the exact. It basically helps you with. It's actually for you to feel, you can feel the vibration through the bougie more than you can the tube. The idea is that when you get in the trachea, you actually feel the bougie against the drop over each trachea. You can hear make noise against the rings, and then you can feed the tube over the top of it. Yeah. So it makes tough airways in theory. Sorry, yeah. Dr. Bancroft. Sorry, we're all literally taking up. Like, I was in, we're all in Little Rock taking ATLS. They actually said that in Arkansas, they are. Yeah, I mean, EMS people were like really going home the bougie. Uh, the the evac, carry back people were like. Yeah, but I think as long as I think you should always have a bougie there. You want to use it right off. <laughs> I mean, if it's an easy airway, you probably don't need it. But to have one there is really good. Yeah. Um, you'll see it in the ICU. They do like uh, two changes, and they use a bougie for that. So you'll probably see it when you're on ICU. Okay. Any other questions? And there's like a million ways to RSI people, so. Just remember when you are RSI, you don't need to do the like the breathing. You're not like sitting there bag masking them for very long. You're just like pushing the meds and then you tube down their throat. Yeah. They have eaten recently, so they're probably gonna vomit and stuff like that. So obviously you always have suction and all that stuff by you too. I mean, so I had them on BiFAP, so I just like cranked up the settings when I do it. Um, yeah, I feel it too on 100, obviously. 
I just let them sit there while I'm giving all the meds. And I just keep them on the BiPAP until I push. Once they push and they start to fade, I just rip it off and I'll bag them until like they're not responding to me in their eyes. And then I just go for it. Okay. And then, I mean, I was thinking about discussing vent settings, but I feel like pretty low yield. You guys want to, if any of you want to, I, I can give a talk on that um, for how much we're going to do it by ourselves. Even like working, so I work at Owasso and manage the ICU there at night and there's respiratory therapy who runs most of the vent settings. When you're super alone, like when I work in Shattuck, I have to do it by myself, but um, okay. so I get the ventilator book if you did. But if you have any questions, we can talk about it sometime. Okay. So this is in the hallways of where I work. Uh, the snakes, they're just like rattlesnakes outside and like the snakes get in and you just get a room and sweep them out. And then uh, this is like, so the sunsets are beautiful out there. So um, yeah, I always go out and watch the sunset and that's right off the helicopter. Near the panhandle. I don't like them at all. Yeah, so the sun's actually setting in Texas, so about right by the border. Um, on the helipad, and it's all just like trains and cows. There's no roads to the border. It's 30 miles, and there's just no road. It's nothing. All right. What snake was that? It's done. Oh, it is. We had a rattlesnake right outside the door once, and I was like running it like a road, and they're like, there's a rattlesnake outside. I really want to see one, but I can't leave this one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So this, yeah, so we're good now, Shai. Um, so I'm going to go over, if we if I have time, three cases, but this one's going to definitely take the longest. Um, so yeah. So I was sleeping because I had a late night and it's 930. And I get a call. Uh, hey, this person showed up to the ER. So it's 930. Adding 60% uh, here, which is no bueno. Um, and then so put on nasal cannula, I got 75, simple mask, 79, and then non rebreather got to 83. But it's still not good. Um, yeah. So what do you want to do in the next five minutes? We walk into the ER, or I walked into the room, put on the non rebreather, it got to 83. Just kind of looking at you. Open up your differential. Notify. Well, yeah, sounds good. I'm Dr. Leo. Thank you. Uh, they'll die. They'll die if we don't do something. I mean, they're not going to die. They're eating. So bypass and breast tests. Okay. Maybe let Emsa know that there might be someone that could actually need to be tested. Yeah. Anything else? Are they labored? Do you think, though? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Are they awake or altered? They're super altered, but awake. They can't talk. Can't hear anything. It's like it's it's they don't need tubes. It was like twelve. But like they're they're just laboring. They can't talk because they're breathing so hard. But otherwise, they're like they're not altered. They just can't talk. Stable. Uh, yeah. So their vitals are besides the respiratory rate. Chest X-ray. Well, I mean, put them, I would put on a bypass. You have a portable one? Okay, so the husband was there, so got a really quick history from the husband. Um, so our history in Epic is arthritis, hypertension, and obesity, and that's it. Um, vitals, so our rates 38, which is pretty high. Uh, our rate's 130. Our rate's high, and no doubt, good. Um, okay, so what 
that's five app settings. Are you going to do Dr. Humans? You just talked about it. Think. What settings do we have? So we have the EPAP and the IPAP expiratory. So expiratory, I think inspiratory was 12 and it was five. No, four. Yes. Five. Right there. At bio two cranked. And then the PEEP of five. Yeah. Oh, PEEP, remember, PEEP is really EPAP. It's, I just say that because. Um, I'll have to remember you're getting ready to tube somebody. Yeah. yeah. But if you go in there and you say put the peep at five, they're gonna be like, what you So I'm, I'm just saying that to kind of get us thinking about tubing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah, great job. You're right. So IPAP 12, yeah. five. And remember you could do 16 too, 16 like algorithm, but I mean I did 12. Um if I do it hundred, Okay. Um yes. So Dr. Leo's point. So what labs do you want and why? Um, so like what's your differential for the labs that you want? So newborn, you go first, we'll just kind of work around. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, see if it's So just one differential in labs. Okay. D, you do D dimer. A D dimer send out here, so we can't get a D dimer fast. So do you want to do something else instead? There's another lab marker that could show you. You can get a BMP and that will show you because uh, it's just like a heart stressor. So if they're not grossly overloaded, the only issue, but then like your BMP is through the roof, it heart strain. Try. Just labs. We're not doing imaging. You can do imaging too. Okay, so pneumonia. So I would get. Or, did pneumonia. No, you did PE. Sorry. No, did So pneumonia. So I would want a CBC and I'd want a chest X-ray. I'd want a chest X-ray anyway, though. Yeah. Sure. Any type of airway disease, COPD, that kind of stuff. So I would want blood gases. We can only get BBG here, but yeah, we'll do. That's great. Um. Let's go MI, get an EKG. Intro. Intro. Yeah, like a or something like that, chest x ray. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking like CHO. He's got the recent for us. Yeah. And chest x ray, probably. Check it out. Yeah. Um, the nice things because the you're going the interns are going last. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, she's too dehydrated later. She's a little altered. Kidney failure. Arrhythmia. Maybe an AKI or something like yeah. that. Good. No, he says CPX. So that's perfect. Yeah. If you guys don't have anything, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, what we're looking for. Oh. This would be part of like just like that metabolic acidosis. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd say like to tamponade, you get a portal like x ray, ultrasound, like subtype. Okay. So, what imaging? So, yeah, Chester. So, it's an hour later, right? Yeah. 
So they have to call people in. It's <laughs> Sunday morning. Locked in from home. Yes. So everybody lives down the, down the street. Oh. So you just call them. And if they don't think it's super urgent, they just won't come in right away. So we actually had to call this person three times before they finally showed up. Oh, wow. Um, so like an hour later, she's sitting there just breathing like she is. Uh, your chest x-ray. Um, and then you want a CT? That's great. But they won't do a CT with contrast unless the curtain's good. So because it could hurt their kidneys, right? So you can override it, but the radiologists or the techs get furious and like, and so wow. wait for an hour and 15 minutes at least to get your CT. He's in there laboring. As they're laboring, yes. Oh, yeah. gosh. Right. So it's like so rural ER, right? Like there's just not much. And so they have to walk in from home. They're driving down the street. Um, so like your physical exam is super important. So for tension pneumo, you just listen to their lungs. You don't hear something and you notice like their trachea is deviated. You don't want that chest x-ray. That's considered a, If you get an x-ray on tension pneumo, it's a miss. You just... Especially out here, like you just, if you think you're, you can ultrasound. I ultrasounded her lungs, yeah, but um, just early get physical exam goes a long way. Yeah. So, yeah, so you can get this stuff an hour later. It's great. Um, as in going, as she's finally going to the chest x ray, her husband adds this history, which may or may not be pertinent. Um, and it's, hey, she had a massive few months ago. Quit taking her. Thank you. Is that important? Maybe. <laughs> On the lap. Yeah, that's good to know. Anyways. You do a cardiac, do you do like a bedside cardiac echo? Uh, I attempted to morbidly obese, kind of I don't think you guys don't have the BQ scans that do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so this is really important too. So like I went through the, like, five or six notes, um, but it wasn't added to her past medical history ever. So there, there was a note on it that, I mean, she was like, really sick so like as you're looking through stuff you just missed the one note where like they talked about it but since it was never had to your history like the nurses like everybody who admitted it just like wasn't there um yeah so they said they were going to switch her meds but she never picked them up and it had been like two weeks of like not taking any anticoagulants um, not great so all right so labs so cbc hemoglobin 10 white count up 18 with the left shift uh 14 penalties are up um, yeah, labs, so being piece of thousand. Mm -hmm. Trope's good. Um, oh, look at that lactate. Yeah, that's right. EG is not like that. Crazy. It is. But yes, but looking at it by itself, it just looks like okay. Okay. Her VBG. So this is like what a normal VBG looks like. Jeez. Because you forget. And hers, like it came back and all her labs looked fine. All right. So she had LVMB and PE. So that's super suspicious, right, for PE because, um, yeah, the roof. And like it looks okay. And so, so yeah, so we think she has a, C, a PE. We don't really know, but the labs are suspicious. Okay. So have her on backup for a while. So if you remember her vitals from previously, um, her rate was like 30s, now she's in the 40s. Uh, SATs are better, we're in the 90s, which is great. Heart rate's down to 120, full is 135s. Uh, she's finally able to talk about some of her history. Like fermentation's good enough for, for like chatting in the room. She's like, at this point, the husband said, oh man, you're so good, I can go home and take a shower. Mm -hmm. 
Yankees. Well, I mean, you know, they're just good old folks. They don't really know. Um, so we got to repeat BBG. What does this make you think? Entertaining. No, it's been worse. Yeah, she's getting worse. So do you want to change your BIPAP settings with this BBG? You're not knowing this, Dr. Leo. What do you think you do? Why? What do I want to change it to? Yeah, what do you want to change your BIPAP settings to? Just to connect. So we could look at the inventory time. Please, okay. Maybe bring it to 45 seconds. Yep. And uh, FIO2 should be cranked up. We'll already at 100. That's 100. Sorry, I'll Great. Yeah, so you're right. So adjust the I time. Um, would you decrease EPEP and increase IPEP? It's not going to help. It might help oxygenation, but it's not going to help. If you increase it, you would help it. Decrease EPEP. EPEP is not going to help too much because uh, you need that. It's like any tidal line for going in, just keep the like the avial line open. If you any of you that I like the. I would think that you don't want to decrease EPAP because she's retaining her CO2 and you want her to no, expel. All you're going to do is change the eye time. That's all you're going to do. Eye time is the only thing you can change do. Change the eye time. All you're going to change. That's all you can do on bypass. All you're going to do is change it. So should we adjust it? Yes, we should. We should. Adjust it to 25 seconds. Here's the chest x-ray. This is 11 o'clock, so it's been an hour and a half. I've got this back. You can't even shoot a chest x-ray with Nope. Um, and unlock the radiology office. Go get the thing. So, anyways, this is what it looks like. What do you think, um, Celia Hacker? What's your read of the chest X-ray? Um, she looks a little bit rotated. Um, the front looks pretty bright. I can't see much. <coughs> um, I see like blood markings on both sides. The aorta. Prominent, but it could be the rotation. Um, heart shape looks reasonably sized. Um, I see kind of like a whitish out on the uh, left lower lobe, potentially, because I don't really see the costophrenic angle on that side. Um, but it looks really clear on the right. Um, brachia looks like it's following the spine roughly. Not deviated, short right word. And uh, carinas. Maybe visible kind of at the top of the whitish area. And I don't see any throats, bony abnormalities. Great, great job. And uh, maybe like a little tube up in the top corner by the face. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, that's the tube from the bypass, which is, yeah. Nice. Okay. And my read would be like maybe a prominent aortic knob, which would be like maybe a dissection type picture. So that, and then maybe like some pneumonia in the bottom corner or atelectasis if that's like the segment where the PD is if we've already taken the lab into account. Perfect. Yeah, or I mean maybe it's a obstructive yeah. So great. Yeah. Uh, arch can be prominent if there's significant volume in the or two, right? Yeah. So we don't have to think it's not necessarily necessarily. Sure. It could be right heart strain from the PD. Or she could just have to be here. It's not that prominent. 
And it's rotated. So it's it looks weird. You can actually see the descending aorta if you see it in 3D. Like it's actually so it's more from the rotation. And yeah, and she, she was super like kind of like yeah, I, it was hard to get right. So yeah, she was super. It was a portable because she couldn't really get up to. Okay, so here's a CT scan. Um, obviously, you want to scroll through it. Really do that here. Um, here, come right. silo. What do you think? What do you um, see? All right. Well, from this point, let's see. The right lung is well aerated. Um, left lung here. The bottom right in there. Yeah. So maybe there's going on there. So this should all this is all the lung. It's like mid lung fields. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're not in the. Right. Um, the vascular tool looks good. It's like the aorta. Yeah. The aorta is fine. Yeah. Or just the. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, so um, you get the CT and then it takes another 45 minutes to an hour to get the read from the cardiologist or the radiologist. So you're just like reading them yourself. Um, so, so, yeah. So, I read it similar. You also, when you're scrolling through, you can see areas of the pulmonary uh, vasculature that look like they're blocked off like clots. So. So, um, you didn't see any crack on the passage, right? This is the only passage, so. Um, yeah, so filling defects bilaterally, not the saddle, but like both sides. Uh, and then adelectives versus pneumonia down here uh, in the lung. So, and then I got one of the abdomen pelvis too, just because she couldn't really provide history. So, I just ordered like a full, um, and the, I didn't see anything grossly abnormal on it, but I'm not a radiologist as well. Looks okay. Sorry, I'm terrible at this. Can you show me the filling defect? And yeah, so it's really hard to see on here just because, like, it's you really see when you're scrolling. You can tell a little bit right here. There's like, I don't know. Let's see. It's really hard to see on stationary image. It was more like it was really when you're scrolling through, like, you see the white contrast and there's like this dark area. It looks like it stops right there. They come out of the artery right here. There even looks like there's a little right there. It's white and then like white. So it's like, it looks like little things like this. Like, like so that looks like a blockage right there. Like little defects. Like yeah. So what can I get? I get to it. But yeah. So even here, like, see, this is like dark. So pretty much what you're gonna see is like a bunch of white stripes, uh, and then you see little like dark areas in the white stripes. Um, and you're like, that's probably. I I uh, I assume that's what it was, and I kind of like googled what a PD looked like and scrolled through a bunch of those images, and then side by side of them, and that's. Okay, so based on this read, it's now two hours since she came in. <clears throat> you probably got a bilateral PD, and you're set. You know, you're still breathing at fifty times a minute. It's okay. What do you want to do? What are you thinking? They want to Can you run a hyperdrip in your rural ER? You can run a hyperdrip in rural ER. Yeah. Do that. So hyperdrip, and then she needs to not be there. Okay. Uh, so how do you start hyperdrip? What are you gonna do? There's an order set in certain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weight-based, weight like initial loading dose. Yeah, weight-based, two types. Yeah. Yeah. Great. There's ACS There's... and non and like P. Those are the two different ones. <laughs> two different units. <laughs> they are. So, so, you, so you do weight-based or you do uh, the loading dose. When do you want to do which one? What is this going to be for like? 
there's low dose and weight based. There's a weight based like bolus uh, dose too. Are you talking about low dose versus? So that's like the ACS versus. This is a clinical thing. Sharnita just texted me, and apparently there's a patient who wants to see you and not Santiano. Right. So when you're done. Yeah. They relate. So okay, it's fine. Just FYI. Okay. She just she's texted me. Like, um, okay. So here's what I did. So yeah, start the heparin drip. How do you do it? So oh yeah, and then I called it. So you, yeah. Quick question. Uh, it also depends on kidney function too. Yes. So no, heparin doesn't depend so much on kidney function uh, as much as liver. Oh, okay. So what's our kidneys for? Kidney kidneys are fine. Kidneys are really normal. Uh, so it was hardly called a transfer center before he had a definitive diagnosis. It's like. I'm a transfer patient because they're sick and I'm in a really are. Like you need to kind of a diagnosis. Um, and then you need a bed before you can call Arivac. Um, so you can't, I couldn't get them off the ground until I had like acceptance. So I had to get acceptance and then you call Arivac. EMSA can come first, but not Arivac. Um, the ambulance can come first. Anyways, and she obviously needed flown because the Arivac can do BiPAP, uh, but the ambulance can't. So if you have some BiPAP, getting in helicopter is the best. Heparin drip. Um, so the weight based is 80, 80 units per kg as the loading dose, um, no more than 10,000 units, and then 18 units per kg an hour. Or you can do just like this bolus, so 5,000 followed by like this number. Uh, the weight base is better at reaching levels faster. Um, and so I did the weight base. Just uh, I read all about it. I can't really find one thing. For PE, like which was better than the other. Um, and so I just went weight based. But you can make the argument for doing any reason to do the bolus. So you're getting a bolus with most with both. So this one you're doing a, a bolus based on weight. This one's like a bolus based just general. Events. So this one you're getting five thousand like a five thousand unit bolus, and this one you're doing an eighty unit per kick bolus, immediately followed by the eighteen units per kick an hour. Does that mean no more than two thousand? Uh, it's like like how many days you would use it? No, no, no more than two thousand units per hour. Um, so right away base. I try to get it get it working fast. Anyways, uh, so then radiology radiology calls me. Right? Like man, I hope I'm right because here we go. And they say no PE. Okay. Oh, I know my heart stopped. Um, there's a cute coli. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Get the surgeon. Um, so what now? What do you want to do? What else did they say? Well, all right. yeah, no, so, so they don't call you. You just get a report, and and the reports are super short. It says no PD, uh, like some like maybe pneumonia and a cute coli. That's it. I would call the radiologist back. You call the radiologist. Great. That's what I did too. Yeah. Yeah. So you call. So I call the radiologist. I'm like, hey, you know, this person's like, are you sure? Um, so would you add anything though? You tell them the history. Uh, it, it was sent over when they asked to read the image. Like, uh, uh, so I added the antibiotics on because you had a cute, a cute little You had a white count. So like I added some like biotol and stuff to treat like intra-abdominal infections. Um, Were you treating an ammonia too? Just in case, or? Yeah, I gave her like cefepime, flagyl, and something else. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah, give her all the stuff, try to get her better, you know. 
I knew she was really sick. Okay. Yeah. So I further discussed with radiology. Here's what they say. So CTPE, it's not that there's no PE, it's that she's breathing so fast you can't tell. Oh, oh God. They mentioned that in the report. So it's like there's no saddle. That's all we know. Document. There's document. I was like, oh, great. So, so they go, yeah, no saddle, but there's a ton of artifact that looks like a PE. There was a PE two months ago, but we don't really know. So we can't say that. So we didn't say it. Well, shoot, you know. Um, so they go like it's likely PE, just clinically correlate. I'll just say that in the read. You know? <laughs> uh, like, okay, I'm not totally crazy. Different from no PE. said likely PE is so different from no. Yes, PE. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How much did they get? Oh, jeez. Everyone. Everyone. So, so then, okay. So, uh, has fully. Okay, so does she meet sepsis criteria? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what? So define sepsis. So guys, yeah, this is for the interns. So Estrada. Search criteria and source. So what's search criteria? They were technically. That's the right. Sorry. Uh, over twenty. Okay. For to over hundred. Compared to the ninety. Ninety. Yeah. yeah. is hundred, but for search it's ninety. Uh, one count above. 12 and below four. Yeah. And then other um, four than below. Yeah, so it's greater than like 3.4 and then less than oh, I always forget the left hand one. Six. Okay, good. And uh what is severe sepsis? Your sepsis is sepsis or yeah, sepsis with um, source or evidence uh, of an organ failure or damage or um, that is not yeah. Yeah, so sepsis and hypertension or or acidosis. So do you want to give this person fluids? They're sep meet sepsis criteria. And no source, right? So they are septic. Dr. Newborn doesn't want to. Does anybody want to? I want to bolus two liters. You do. So why don't you? Uh they're they're not hypotensive. There's a likely a, a P. Also, don't know if that fluid is atelectasis fluid overload or cardiac function. So, if they're not hypotensive, I would not. Why do you want to? Um, the being, yeah, there's reasons not to, but I think reasons two would be um, that I remember that rapid administration of IV fluids helps with sepsis, that her lungs didn't look like. Diffusely fluffy. There was just the one area that was having a problem. <coughs> a heart strain is due to like pressure coming pulmonary vasculature rather than like dilation due to fluid overload, like system. I was going to ask a question: What does her volume sepsis look like? Like a normal Joe. Fever at home. Uh, fever times one night and cough. Very less. 
She went to bed and was fine. And we'll be I think her doesn't there's something that says that rapid administration of fluids improves outcomes in sepsis. Yeah, okay, yeah. That would be my thought is you know, give her the fluids, we can diarrhea her later, but we need to sepsis and give her the fluids. Rapidly approaching it to us from any way. So yeah. she's already on bypass. <laughs> I, mean, I know you might have to intubate her before you. <laughs> she's already rapidly approaching intubation, so I would have given her this point, and then if she gets how's, one. So, how's fluids going to affect the PE? Or will it affect your heart? I don't think it changes It'll the help PE. push the PE out of the way. I don't think it changes per se, but I think it would affect the level of pulse strain potentially. But we can always reverse that later before she becomes vasodilatory and starts crashing on you. So if I'm wondering, if I gave my honest answer. This would be a person where I'd like give a leader and then see how it goes. Yeah, because I'm kind of like I don't really know. This is like yeah. So what do you do? I didn't get fluids, and, and I'll talk about why. And then, I, and then, well, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so like I didn't. But I was like wrecking my brain. Like, should I be giving her fluids? She is septic, and she looks terrible. But I didn't. Um, so I just watched her close. Like I didn't leave the ER. So fluids. So uh, sepsis fluids are going to help with pulmonary embolism. Uh, you don't give it. So the rule is don't give it unless obvious uh, low filling pressures, so like a small IVC. Um, because you already put, there's already so much pressure on the heart that if you increase it, it just worsens pulmonary edema. Um, her stats were so terrible coming in, and I was like, very sure she had a PE. Um, I was like, you know what? I, I thought that her respiratory rate from like the PE would go first. I think your arguments are valid. Like I went through the same arguments in my head. I was like, man, what should I do? I think to myself. Um, okay, so I ate final stuff. And then, um, and, and that's why I held it. Because, like, she had some rails. Okay. So when can you tell? Like, when are you gonna talk to family? And how often are you gonna update them? When he gets back from taking a shower. Right. So at that point, <laughs> uh, the, like when he left, the sun came in. Um, so there was some family with her the whole time. Yeah. So at what point are you gonna say she's sick? Hour. Yeah. We gotta make sure she's stable first, right? Before we have time to sit with family and talk. Yeah, so I mean, it depends on. I mean, it's, been, it's already been two hours. Two hours. Yeah. I feel, like, and if you they're still only to get stuff done, it's like if they're already in the room, that's like stable. If they're already in the room, then I would update them how I would update the patient if she's. So I would say, I'm seeing that you're really sick. I'm gonna, we're gonna do this and this and this, and so they should be pretty much up to date. Yeah, great. So this family was, they kind of like sat in the chapel a lot and came in to see because they didn't know they were pouring in. Um, so I actually called Angstrom, right? Like when, when Vic came in, I'm like, this person is going to die. He looked awful. But I just called him. He was, in, he was in Sunday school. He was funny eating biscuits with his friends. So he said to us in Sunday school <laughs> to talk to me. And uh, he's like, tell the family she's going to die. Mm -hmm. Tell them that she has probably has a 40% mortality risk in the next 24 hours. Because they need to realize that if she dies, it's not your fault. So, like, tell them now. So, I just went up and just told, like, look, your 
mom has a good chance not leaving the CR. Like she's sick. Um, and then at every decision point or every time like course changed, I would like before starting the heparin, that was also a family conversation. I was like, it's my read that there's PE. Radiologist says they don't know. And they go, well, logic tells you there's a PE there. I was like, well, I think so too, but you can make the argument that there's not. And so like, I'm going to treat her like this one, but there are risks with that, you know? And so it was like a family decision. Like all, like most of the major decisions, I pulled them in just to explain what I was thinking. Uh, so yeah, so early early I know that the issue is critical, and every major decision point has to talk to them. Uh, and then right off the ERs at the chapel, so like the servers are like waiting in the chapel. Okay, so at 1220, so this is what, 930, 1030, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, so yeah, so intubate or continue bypass. I think you'll already tuber. Uh, what are reasons that it's dangerous? Like maybe we shouldn't intubate her, and why? Do we know if she would want to be intubated? Mm -hmm. if you ask yeah, them, they want her intubated. She would want to be. At this point, she can't really talk that much with the rest of the family. Says so yes. So. <laughs> she's on heparin now just risk. yeah and that doesn't make when you're tubing i mean you shouldn't be causing out trauma so yeah um no so specifically uh if we have large so it could be a difficult intubation yeah and that's that's a risk but i think you're more like like medical risk like so she has a PE, and people who have a PE, when you intubate them, is really dangerous. Pressure, because yeah. you increase the intrathoracic pressure, which creates more right heart strain, which makes them go into like everything and they die. It's super dangerous. So that's why I was going to tube them earlier, and Angstrom actually said like, don't tube her. Figure out the cause. Because if you tube somebody and don't know that they have a PE, and you increase that peep up, you kill them. So um, really dangerous. So you don't want to intubate them unless you have to. So we were trying to hang on to bypass as long as we could and get her back there. Um, yeah. So why is it dangerous? Like we talked about. So are you stressed on the right ventricle already? Um, take your hypotensive. Take that. Yeah. Much more dangerous to intubate her in a helicopter than. Oh, no, correct. Yes, and we had that conversation with the family too. Yeah, so I told the family the risks, and I was, and then eventually, which we'll get to, like we decided. Because the helicopter is like way more dangerous. Yeah, because she's gonna die if we don't. Um, so when you're gonna intubate somebody, and the the book goes over this, where the the you really get that FiO2 as high as you can and get that PEEP as low as you can because you don't want to increase the intrathoracic pressure. Uh, so ten or less is kind of the, the goal. All right. So how do you want to treat your low blood pressure? You said leave a fed. Anybody else have any thoughts? When you're in a rural ER. They have no algorithms. The is going to take 20 minutes to get set up. So push dose epi is probably your best bet. So we do push dose epi. Times one, they got our pressure up beautifully. SAS came up too. Um, so we intubated her. Uh, Atomic sucks. Would you just use whatever's on your crash cart and just push like a CC perhaps? Of the epi? So no, so this is so this is important for, for me at least. Um, 
So we have, I have like the algorithms, but to calculate, it was taking forever. So the Arivax saved my butt. They came in and they, they just acted as my nurses pretty much. And so I would say, give this, and they would draw, they had all the algorithms in their little book and they would just draw it up and start giving all the push doses. And so um, they helped a ton. That's, that's, that's crazy. They, they, like, that's all you had. That's well, we had the event, just took a while to get running. Just like to, it's there. It's mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> Yeah. No, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but yeah, that's like all we have. Um, so yeah, so size seven two kaleidoscope, you know, just went in. So um, so yeah, so I finally decided maybe it's all my fault for not getting fluids. Let's get fluids. Uh, so I started a bolus, <laughs> one liter bolus. I still say very. You also can't tuber when she's hypertensive. Correct, which is why I gave the push dose as well. We also left their leg. You could do that too. Yeah. Kind of awkward, but it gives a yeah. But she was sitting up to, to breathe, and so ah. her back. She was like, oh, okay. Sweet. So sorry. Okay. So as I open her mouth, this is what I see. There's just frothy blood in the back of her throat. Ideal. Uh, uh, bearing anterior airway. Chest X-ray confirmed it. So it's at the carina. So we talked about this earlier. Initial settings for the vent. You're going to base it off the bypass, and then you just adjust it as quick as you can based on vitals and clinical like response. And sorry, I know that I'm, I'll try to wrap this up quick. Um, so, so yeah, look at the vitals, um, terrible, pressure went back down. So got the levofederone finally, not the fluids. Cause like, well, she's getting worse with the fluids. So I just stopped, she got like 500. So. Uh, started levofed and then she still had breath sounds bilaterally. And then we started adjusting the vent settings. So like, recently peeved, I just kind of like played with all this. <coughs> and I called Ingstrom again and like sat on the vent and he was like telling me different settings to do this. And we were just trying something. So three minutes later, um, sats are 62 and maps 43. She's just doing terrible. And so if you can get signs better flow and pressure through bag masking. So we put the <coughs> doing that. And as we pull the vent, the vent off, blood just shoots out like a guy's just straight up. Um, so got suction, suction really crazy. Got our it's eighty five. Started vasopressin, but it took fifteen minutes to get that from the pharmacy. So we kept doing push dose epi until we got the vasopressin. Uh, so we're gonna leave a fed push dose epi and vasopressin at this point. Anything else at this point, right? She's crashing. She's gonna die. Um, what do you want to try? We haven't tried yet. Try that. Is it a perfusion injury? So, um, so I think she's having a pulmonary hemorrhage. Yeah, just from reading. Yeah, I don't think it's from reperfusion. I'm not sure what was causing it. I mean, yeah, I'd stop, stop the heparin. Stop the heparin. Yeah, nothing, nothing else. You can so, really get probably Yeah. Yep. So, so actually, that's interesting. So I called Ingstrom and said, should I stop the heparin? He goes, what well, do you think she's a pee? I said, yeah. He goes, then you'll kill her by stopping it. Okay. You want to stop it? His his answer was do racemic uh, or do TXA. One gram, uh, you just pour it in the vents like you're giving albuterol, clamp it on and have him breathe it in. So that can like tamponate off the, the alveolar hemorrhage while still treating the PE. So I did that. Uh, did albuterol and epitrobium nebs because maybe it's just more it's not treating it. Anyways, did that. Um, yeah, he said like don't stop the, 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 the 
So yeah, so all that, it got a little better after that 88 for like five minutes, but. So went in, talked to the family about it, uh, each major decision point, and then kind of told them like, I'm just super high risk of dying uh, and everything that I'm doing. And then uh, he was offered like, hey, like, I'm not praying because she's gonna die. I'm praying because like, I care about you guys, but like, um, so great of them, which they really appreciated. So 14.30, so this is what, nine to 10, 11, 12, one, two, five hours later, Praise God, she's the only patient who came into the ER during this time. Slow ER, usually it's pretty not crazy. Um, no pulse. So I'm in there actually called Ingstrom again. It was like the third time. I'm like, it's what else should we be doing? And as we're going over the chart, they said, hey, uh, she's coded. And uh, Arivec usually will take over, but they're like, just have the doctor run it. That's kind of how we've been running the whole day. So she's on three pressers at this point. Levofed, vasopressin, and epi. Um, put her back on the vent just to help us with CPR and stuff. Um, did three rounds, went talked to the family, and they're like, keep going. Oh, man. I was like, so I actually had the husband come in, and uh, he like looked, watched one round of CPR. I was like, do you really want to come in during CPR? And he's like, yes. And he walked one round, and he goes, just forget it. Like, this is not, not good. So he called it uh, at 1447. So five hours. Mm -hmm. All right. So then uh, the nurses come up to you afterwards, and they're like, hey, that's like the first time we saw a death. Uh, out here, can you lead the debrief because we're all struggling. And you're like, me too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so how do you lead the debrief? You're the doctor there, uh, and there's all these people who don't know what death looks like. So, what are you going to do? What I appreciate about our ER here that I've never seen anywhere else is uh, that if somebody dies in the ER at St. John, um, every death that I've seen, they there's like something that they read um, that that acknowledges that this person had a life and a family and friends yeah. and we, they pause and they acknowledge that before everyone gets out of the room. And oftentimes the doctors and a lot of people already left or whatever, but that has been very powerful to me. Pause and just say, this was the person, respect that. But I, 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 that's something that I plan to do. Yeah, it's awesome. I need to, that's just, express whatever feelings they have and just like, validating that they're like yeah it's right you can always circle back and have another conversation after people have had space right. yeah. and so the year we have is about two hours later yeah. uh so the the main er out there is like amazing she did her uh three years at ou trauma and so she's like uh, but everybody else had never seen a death. So like, yeah, can you lead this? It's great. So anyway, so yeah, so just did like our vaginal deliveries, like, hey, what went really well here? Yeah, like, what could I have done better? What do you think you guys could have done better? Because like, I, don't, I didn't want them to question themselves, like it's my fault. And so just kind of like, they say, hey, we did this wrong. And I was like, actually, we're in the middle of nowhere. This is actually pretty good. Um, anyway, so just kind of like, you <clears throat> and then just try to check on them, like, give them encouragement. There's really nothing we could have done, I don't think. Uh, much better. I mean, with the limited resources that we had, it's kind of like all we could do. Uh, we could have got radiology there quicker, but we called them right away just for them to come in because I think they were eating breakfast. And otherwise, it was an emergency. But we told them it was. Anyways, so nothing really we could do. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of never seen a cutting patient. They were kind of like, I never want to work in the ER again. I want to stay upstairs. 
So yeah, so obviously our encouragement is through Christ. So trying to bring Christ into that because it's very Christian out there. So try and like bring it. Cool. Okay, I'll go through the rest. There's two more short ones, but I've taken too much time. Any questions on this? Do you think that the PU is there long enough to cause damage to the lung? Yeah, so the PE, she had it uh, two months prior. Um, and then it was taking her anticoagulants and stopped. And so that was that she was, she had a massive PE. CT, like she wasn't diagnosed for a while. I got an anticoagulants. Um, and then she's had like the constant post obstructive pneumonia, quit taking her anticoagulants, and then like the so if you already had a restrained rate heart, it just made it a lot worse. Yeah. So do you think it's just like pulmonary embolism, like cause pulmonary infarct? I mean, that's that's one of the thoughts, yeah. That's, that's pretty rare because you have bronchial blood flow, so really yeah. rare to infarct the lung. I think it, I mean, you can get diffuse alveolar hemorrhage with pneumonia. So, yeah, it makes sense because it's like in the parenchyma, but like in the vasculature, I, I would have to look it up. I'll look it up. How a PE causes the hemorrhage, but I was just curious. So I think part of it was just like she had the PE and then like the pressure just increased so much that the blood was like the pressure of it, you know, because the interface is so close. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's why she has dropping stacks. It's like the opposite of event. So maybe you are filling the pushing fluid. Exactly. That you're you're trying to expand them. Uh, it worked for a while and then just. Any other questions? I think big. Just with the family, like, um, I know you asked them about like whether they wanted to keep going, but did you, and they had the conversation about intubation. Um, so there was kind of like a code status idea up front. Uh, yeah, so we didn't really have a good one up front. Um, the husband, like I said, left and came back when things were getting more critical and didn't have the time to have the conversation. So I just had to do like real time, like if you want intubated, and they were like, yes. And so we did. And what she wanted to proceed with, you know, just kind of. That's hard because, yeah, you don't have the time to explain what those things look like and what usually happens after and what the chances of success are. So I gave him like numbers as we went, like the chances of this work. Okay. I gave him those numbers real time, which is less than ideal. But... <laughs> I know, I heard, I'm coming.